This, this is a wonderful church right here. That's what I think this is. It ain't got to be big. God is not into numbers. I know there's a lot of people, bless your hearts, watching by Facebook. We love you. Dorothy, Catherine, Chris Adol. A lot of people are still supporting us financially on Facebook, PayPal. Amazing. Uh, we, I know we can never pay back what God has done for us, but we can sure pray that God can use us in these last days, right? Amen. We don't want to just go just bury our head in the sand and, and pray that everything is going to go away because it's not. But we have to continue to stand our ground. We got to stand our ground. We got to continue to stay the course regardless. Might not be an easy course, but we know the boat's not going to sink because Jesus is in the boat. Right? Amen. So don't quit. Continue to serve the Lord. Don't be self-sufficient. Because self-sufficiency is self-deception. Self-deficiency, sufficiency, self-sufficiency is self-deception. That's the worst lie you can tell. It's a lie you tell yourself. And when I say I'm self-sufficient, I've just lied to myself. Satan didn't do it. I did it to myself. I would like to blame Satan for everything, but I can't because some things I do myself. You know, Paul said his sufficiency was not in themselves, but he said his sufficiency was from God. That's what he said. Second Corinthians 3, 5. That's what Paul said. So if your sufficiency is in Christ, you're going to be just fine. But Christ is not going to leave you. Anyway, we are in Luke's gospel, chapter 10. We're in Luke's gospel, chapter 10. We want to turn your Bibles there. Jesus sends out the 70. This should not be confused with the sending out of the 12. These are two, two different groups. He sent out to 12. Now you're going to send out to 70. They are similar, but they are not the same. They were all both groups were sent out to evangelize. The 12 apostles ministered throughout Galilee, but these men were sent to Judea. These are anonymous disciples. Far more than the 12. You know, the 12 thought they was it, man. They said, man, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name and we forbade them. Jesus said, don't do that because if they're not, uh, if they're not for us, if, if they're not against us, they force. They're on our side. They thought that we're the 12 and that's all Jesus got. Like, I, you know, like uh, Elijah. Lord, you know, I'm the only one. You know, they, they've killed your prophets and they've, they've, they're trying to take my life and I'm the only one left. You're never the only one left. Do you know that? God told Elijah, I got 7,000 
that have not bowed or needed bail. I got 7,000 more you don't even know anything about. God's got resources you don't even know anything about and not supposed to know. He got this. If you let him. The seven is sent out. Chapter 10. After these things, the Lord anointed 70 others. Others. He had others. Also sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. The message had the message had to get out faster. So the Lord got more people. He called the 70. The time was getting short. The time was winding down for him to go to the cross. So he, he needed more people, uh, 70 more people to get the word out quicker. As he do today, he needs more people to get the word out quicker. We got to get the word out. What are we supposed to be doing? Getting the word out. He sent them two by two, he says. That they might strengthen each other and they might encourage each other. Every Christian, you know, you need two by two. When I was in California, a street witnessing on Hollywood and Vine, two o'clock in the morning, boy, you see some of everything. You don't know who's who. You don't know if it's what. You don't know what they are. I mean, really. But, you know, <laughs> the power of God was so strong. It was two of us. Like Jesus sent them out two by two. We would go out two by two street witnessing. Because sometimes people will give us a hard time. The other person could pray with the person and the other person could encourage the person. Because sometimes we were totally rejected, totally rejected. But we didn't take that personally. You know, and when you're rejected, when you're being rejected, don't take it personally because they rejected him. Shake it off, man. Come on. We got to have some tough skin in these last days. But, you know, they went out two by two. Every Christian needs a friend to strengthen them, to encourage them, and to pray with them in their times of trial. I would, I would suggest uh, that each one maybe here could get a prayer partner. When you're down and out and you need somebody to talk to, somebody to pray with, I, I, I think you should pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, man, could you pray with me? Because I'm going through such and such. A, I'm going through this. I'm going through that. Someone you can pour out your heart to. In these terrible times, we should have someone we can go to. But the 70 were sent two by two. It said before his face in every city and place he himself was about to go. He would visit these cities later, but the 70 went first to prepare for his visit. Just like John the Baptist, you know, he prepared the way of the Lord. These 70 went to prepare the way that Jesus was going to be coming later. Jesus always used people. You know what I mean? I, you know, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you and me. God needs a vessel that he can work through. And that's what we come at at. God needs people he can work through. All the apostles dead and gone, man. But we here. At such a time as this, we are here. Why? To tell people about him. To win people to Christ. I think the church has gotten eh, sideways, off track. We focus on all this garbage and people are going to hell. So we got to get back on track and try to tell people how to get saved. That is the goal. That is the vision of the church. It's to go out and make disciples. Jesus said, verse 2, he said to them, truly, 
The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. This, this tells us that salvation of souls should be top priority to bring people to Christ and to evangelize. He said that the harvest is ripe, but he said, but the laborers are few. If there's no laborers, there cannot be a harvest. The harvest has to be, the harvest has not, the harvest has not stopped because of a pandemic. The harvest has not stopped because of a pandemic. The harvest is greater now than ever. I believe the harvest is greater now than ever. The question is, will we go into the harvest? He said, pray that he would send laborers into the harvest. God, God has enough work for everybody to do. And there are many opportunities and open doors to minister if you look for them. I think we have... I think we have been intimidated. I think the world has intimidated us by a lie from the enemy who whispers in our ears that people, people don't want to get saved and people don't want to listen. Maybe some don't want to get saved, but a lot of them do. We can't stop. The harvest is great right now and some people are waiting just for you and for me to show up. They're waiting for us to show up. I think the Holy Spirit has already prepared their hearts to receive the message. That's why before you go out witnessing, you always pray that the Holy Spirit would prepare people's hearts to receive the message. I look at the world, I think our hearts should be broken. The believer I think our heart should be broken for the lost. We should be praying for an awakening. We should be praying for awakening for America and the world. We should be praying for that. We should be praying for revival to come. Well, revival starts with God's people. Revival never starts with an unbeliever. It always starts with a believer. If a, if a revival is going to happen, it's going to happen for us, from us, from you and me. Well, verse 3 said, go, he, he sent them out, said a harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. He said, verse 3, he says, go your way. Behold, I send you as lambs among wolves. That's always opposition. Wherever the gospel is preached, they go, he said, you guys are going to face hostility. You guys are going to face rejection. You guys are going to face persecution. Just do what God told you to do. He said, it's not going to be easy. I'm going to send you out just lambs among wolves. It means he's trying to prepare them to let them know that it's not going to be an easy road. The message the message, sometimes people take the message, uh, they, they, they take, it get mean sometimes, you know. They say, guys, it's not going to be an easy road. When Satan sees that you are serious about the harvest, 
whether it's where you work or whether in your neighborhood or in your family, he's going to try to launch any kind of attack to try to stop you. I know when I was going to go into the ministry, I couldn't believe this stuff began to happen. I'm thinking, what? What happened? Now, when I was sitting there, there's a pure warmer, you know, just showing up. Nothing happened. You know what I mean? But when I was going to step out, Satan says, oh, boy. So now I'm a threat to his kingdom. So now he's trying to put roadblocks in my way. Whenever you're going to step out, it's going to always be attacked from the enemy. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, I've. Of course, he doesn't want the gospel preached. Of course, he's not going to lay dead and just let it happen. Because you have the words to eternal life. And it's going to be a fight from here on out, and I'm ready to fight. Well, he sent him out. Verse 4, he said, carry neither bag, knapsack, nor sandals. I don't mean that they went barefooted, but don't take extra sandals, right? And greet no one along the road. They had to depend on God to provide for their needs. They had to depend on him. They were not to stop along the way to visit and exchange customary lengthy greetings. They had those customary lengthy greetings, which sometimes would last even over, over to eating meals. They would have meals and fellowship. It could be a long, drawn-out thing. Their mission was, was too urgent, and he didn't want them to be deterred from the mission at hand and the mission at hand was to preach the gospel. So he said, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and don't be greeting each other along the road, because that greeting could last for hours and hours and hours and get you off the track, and the gospel would not be preached. So he wants you to stay on, ta- on, on target. But whoever house you enter, first say, peace to that house. A blessing would come to the house that received the message. Verse 6, if, a, if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. A, peace, a peaceful and quiet man of a good reputation, he said it, uh, it would be a, a dishonor to take someone into somebody's house who had a bad reputation. He said if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. So you just couldn't take anybody into your house. If not, it will return to you. Peace went to every house that received the message. He said, remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the labor is worth his wages. Do not go from house to house. Don't be moving around. He said, settle down and focus on the appointed tasks. It would be a great offense after being made welcome at somebody's house, and you would leave it and go to another house. Maybe because the food was better across town. That person would be offended. He says, no, when you go in that house, you stay in that house. Stay in the house you took, you came in first. 
because it would appreciate it if you left that house. They took you in first, and if you left that house, it would appear that you did not appreciate their hospitality. So they were to take up lodging at that house, which they, were, which they entered first. They were not to be concerned about comfortable, comfortable lodging someplace else. But he said, a labor is worth his wages. That means a minister or a pastor deserves to, to be supported financially and needs to be met. His needs should be met. Can I get an amen on that one? That's my favorite scripture right there. <laughs> a labor is worth his wages, man. Uh, you know, the Bible said we shouldn't muzzle the ox, you know, which tread out the corn. The Bible said a person that preached the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9, should make his living from the gospel. It is the church's responsibility to make sure that the pastor's needs are met, that he has a decent salary. Pastors need to know you are giving cheerfully. He needs to know that you are giving generously. You know, I know, I know some pastors overdo, take this scripture and they overdo it. Well, they're making millions of dollars. I understand that, but most Calvary pastors, you know, we just, we just do whatever, man. We, we can get by with little or nothing. Verse 8, he said, when you enter your city they, and they receive you, eat such things I set before you. In other words, don't be picky about the meals. You send them out, you're going to go in this city, and they receive you, Eat such thing that is set before you. Don't complain about the food. Be content with the food that is set before you. Don't, don't be going from house to house looking for better accommodations and food. Be content with the food that is set before you. Don't be looking for better food someplace else. So whatever they set before you, you can't say, well, I don't want that. I don't like that. Uh-uh. They said, whatever it is, you know, it could be a fried turtle, you know. <laughs> you got to eat it, man. You got whatever it is. <laughs> well, heal the sick. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near, come near to you, verse 9. The, the greatest thing that could say to anyone is to bring the gospel message and to tell them that the kingdom of God has come near you. Verse 10 and 12, it says, but whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, hey, you go into a house, they don't receive you. He said, well, then go out into the streets where they will. That's, a good, that's some good evangelists in the streets. I don't know if y'all know anything about the streets or not, but uh, in Tacoma, you got to know about them streets out there. And I tell you what, it's some good evangelism out there. Because them people ain't going to come to church. But you go out where they are, many of them will listen. Sometimes they're too high to listen, but, you, you know, you hope that they hear something. They hear a few words you have to say. If you don't want to go in the house, man, go out in the street. In the very dust of your, of your city, which cling to us, wipe off against us against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. They don't want to, 
receive your message, wipe your dust off your feet. Let's go someplace else. There's a lot of people out there. Somebody don't want to hear it? Hey, no problem. Let's go somewhere else. I'm not going to sit there all day and argue with you about it. You receive it or you don't. You believe it or you don't. You know, wipe your dust off. Before re-entering Jewish territory, the dust of a Gentile, the Jew would wipe the dust off of his feet before he went into another Gentile country. But that very dust is a witness against them. You came and they rejected the message. Verse 13 through 16 is woe to the impenitent city, the unrepentant cities. These three cities were unrepentant and these re- these three cities reject the gospel. They rejected the seven messengers, the 70 messengers. And Jesus is going to put a curse on these cities because they rejected the message. What are you, Chorazin? What are you, Bethesda? Bethesda. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sodom, they would have repented long ago. Sitting in sackcloth and ashes. When a person said in sackcloth and ashes, that means they were mourning. It means they were repenting. But I, he said, in first verse 14, but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sodom at, at the judgment than for you. Why? Because they rejected the messengers that Jesus sent. When, you, when Jesus sent a messenger out, the 70 out with the gospel, and, and if you reject the messengers and you reject the gospel, you have just rejected him. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades, are brought down to hell. Capernaum was the headquarters of Jesus' earthly ministry. That was his headquarters. They witnessed, and they still rejected him. The the inhabitants had many opportunities to see Jesus. Therefore, the judgment for their rejection was greater because they were more accountable. These three cities had their chance, so they were without excuse. Jesus pronounced a curse on these three cities. America has rejected the message. America has turned its back on the Lord. The judgment has already begun. This is not the same country as it once was. It's different. I wonder many times if God has not just taken his hand off America. It sure looked like he has. Why don't America repent? Why? We've tried everything. It's not working. It's not working. Why? It's the only hope for America or the world is repentance and turning back to the Lord. No one is going to solve all these problems. No man on earth is going to solve all these problems. They're running from the one who can help them. Oh, America, 
God shed his grace on thee. <coughs> Repent that your sins may be blotted out. So Capernaum was a town that Jesus' hometown that people knew him and everything, but they still rejected the message. Verse 16 says, he, he who hears you hears me. You see that? You go out. He who hears you, when you preach, he hears me. And he who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me, God the Father. Again, but so don't take it personally because Jesus was rejected. He came unto his own and they received him not. They all had opportunities to hear the gospel, but woe to those who, who reject Christ. They had an opportunity, but still didn't repent. But much is given, much is required. Verse 17, then they said and returned with joy and saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. At least they gave Jesus the credit. They say in your name, not in their name. The demons weren't subject to them in their name. They said, Jesus, the demons are subject to us in your name. They didn't take credit for it. And he said to them, I saw, Laden, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, meaning it was sudden. It was, it was very sudden. It happened so quick. Some say he's refer, referring to Isaiah 14 when he said, oh, oh, Satan, you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, you know. But Jesus said, to, he said, I will cast you down to the lowest depths of the pit. You can read Isaiah 14, how Satan said, I will exalt myself above God, the throne of God. I will sit at the mountain of the congregation. The five I wills of Satan, because of pride, he fell. Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning. They said, you know that they, they, the demons, man, they, 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 they're subject to us in your name. They're subject to us in your name. Hmm. Verse 19, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all powers of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, I know people have tried this. Some of them got bit by snakes and died. If God sends you out on a special mission like this group and he promised their protection and he protected them. But if God hasn't sent you, don't you try that. You might not, it might not come out so well for you. They say, oh, man, the demons are subject. Verse 20 said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice what God has done for you when he died on that cross, that you have a heavenly citizenship. Rejoice in that because that is more important. Salvation is more important than anything. So get your priorities straight. They say, oh, the, 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 the demons, they, the spirits, they are subject to us. You know, we were... He said, no, you know what? Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice because your names are in heaven. You can rejoice in that. In that, same, in, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seems good in your sight. 
The 70 received the wisdom from God. That's where they got it from. He called them babes. He hid it. He said, reveal it to babes. He said, all things have been delivered to me by my father, and no one knows who the son is except the father, and who the father except the son, and the one to whom the son would reveal him. So he says, all authority has been given to Jesus himself. He has all authority. In the Great Commission, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus had all authority, and he still does. So he turned to his disciples privately, verse 23, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. Many prophets did not live to see the things that they prophesied, they saw them afar off and they embraced them, but the disciples had opportunities to see the very things that, they, the, that the prophets prophesied about. But they still embraced them by faith and they accepted them and they lived as though they had seen them. They lived as though they were there, but the prophets, many of them died, didn't see the things that they prophesied. But they still lived as though they did. Verse 25 saying, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He would test the Lord's knowledge of the law. This guy is a scribe. Many believe this not a sincere question, but intended to trap Jesus. But a lawyer who was a scribe, one who professed, to be well skilled in the law of Moses and to explain the law to the people. So in this verse 26, Jesus referred, in verse 26, Jesus referred him back to the law. Since this guy's a scribe and he asked, Jesus is going to refer him to the law. Since this guy's a scribe and he's supposed to be an expert in the law, he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? I know you read it. He said, what is, your, what is your reading of it? How do you understand it? What did the Mosaic law say? And what is your reading of it? Because Jesus knew by him being described, he certainly had read it. So verse 27, so he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer here is quoting the Shema, the, some people say it's Shema, the Shema, Shema, found in Deuteronomy 6, 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. They would say it every day, twice a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And he's quoting Leviticus 19, 18. You, he says, you shall not take vengeance, but... But bear any grudge against children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So that Jesus is being tested of his knowledge of the law. And he answered and said, you have answered rightly. You know, the, the 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is, who is his neighbor? Do you know your neighbor? He said, you have answered rightly, verse 28. He said, but the, the guy fell short of the law. He couldn't even keep the law. The law was to point people to Christ. James 2.10 said, if you fail in one point, you fail, you, you, you're guilty. But the man wanted to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? The lawyer is trying to justify himself or to try to be right standing with God by keeping the law, by keeping works and self-efforts. And the law, he thought the law could make him righteous, but he couldn't keep the law because the Bible says in Galatians that no man is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. So the lawyer asked the question, who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan to tell the lawyer. So Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from, Jer from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and, de and departed, leaving him half dead. The man was going down from Jerusalem the steeply descending road winds through rocky places that robbers could hide easily and rob people. They could rob the travelers. They would hide in cave to attack their victims. Jerusalem to Jericho, a distance of about 17 miles and a descent from about 2,500 feet above sea level to about 800 feet below sea level. It was very dangerous. The thieves earned they earned a name. They call it the road of the blood. He said, this guy went out to Jerusalem, to Jericho. Verse 31, he said, now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road that he saw him. He said he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. The priest saw him and did nothing. A priest was serving the temple for two weeks, and out of the year, which was once in a lifetime, did he get a chance to serve in the temple. And he didn't want to miss his opportunity to serve in the temple. He was in a hurry to get to the temple, so he left a man there beside the road. Now, that's a lot of people believe that. So he was in a hurry to get to the temple because you, you never get this chance. He said, I'll never get this chance to serve anymore. So, man, I don't have time to help this guy. I'm, I'm out. Or if he touched a dead body, he would be ceremonially unclean. He, he didn't know if the guy was dead or what lying there. He knew the law said, the number is 1911, you're not supposed to touch a dead body. So the so priest said, well, I'm not going to touch a dead body. So, But he should have done something. But he avoided the wounded man, and when he saw him, he passed by on the side. Verse 32, the likewise, the Levite, he, he arrived at the place, came and looked. The Levite, he came and looked and passed by on the other side and avoided the wounded man also. The Levites assisted the priests in the temple and led a religious worship from the tribe of Levi. Both were Jewish officials. They both came and looked and they both noticed a man lying there 
But neither one of them did anything to help. But verse 33 says, A certain Samaritan, don't get a guy's name, don't even know the guy's name. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So the Samaritan saw him, doesn't give the Samaritan's name, but he came where, where he was, and he saw him just like the priest did, just like the Levi did, but the Samaritan did something to help. It said he had compassion. Compassion is doing something to help people when they're in need and not ignoring it, not ignoring the situation. The question I must ask this morning is, do you have compassion? When you, when you see people in need, do you have compassion? The man, wanted, the man wounded was someone who the Samaritan didn't even know. The man was laying there wounded. The Samaritan came by. He didn't even know the man's name. He had never seen the man before. He didn't, he didn't care about the race, the color, the creed. He didn't care about that. All he knew, it was a person laying there wounded and needed help. And he said he had compassion. The Samaritan was a mixed race, half-breeds, they call them. They were, produced when from the, they were produced from the northern kingdom. They intermarried with other people. And they, uh, from other kingdom, they intermarried. And they called them half-breeds. And they called them Samaritans. And you know, and the Jews and Samaritans, they were enemies the, the Samaritan had compassion on a Jew laying down that side of the road. The ten, lep the ten lepers, Luke 17, the one that came back was a Samaritan. Jesus says, I know there was ten of them. What are the other nine at? The nine kept going, but the one came back. Jesus said it was a Samaritan. The man laying inside the road the Samaritan had compassion. He didn't even have to ask the man. The other two should have done, should have had compassion, but they did nothing. Verse 34, so he went, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and, he, and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. He poured oil and wine to try to soothe the pain. Wine was used as a disinfectant, uh, antiseptic to ease the pain and he set him on his own animal because the man was too injured to walk the Samaritan set the man on his own animal and the Samaritan walked I'm thinking boy this is compassion here on the next day the first 35 and when he and when he departed he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again I will repay you this is Samaritan talking he, you know he gave the guy some money two pence they say some says two days wages others say it was enough money to to support the man for two weeks the Samaritan he gave his time, he gave his resources, and the Samaritan gave his words, saying, you know what? If you overspend anything, when I come back, I'll repay it. He said to the innkeeper, here's two denarius, whatever, whatever you spend, you spend it more, come back, I'll, I'll repay it, I'll give it back to you. 
So which of these do you think was his neighbor? Verse 36. Now, Jesus asking this, this lawyer here. Now, he asked the, Jesus, the lawyer asked Jesus, now, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, now, which of these do you think his neighbor? He said, to him who fell among the thieves. And Jesus, and he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. So your neighbor is not necessarily the person next door. What Jesus is saying, your neighbor is anybody that needs help. Jew or Gentile, race, color, creed, doesn't matter. Christian or non-Christian, doesn't matter. The one who showed mercy and compassion was acting like a neighbor. Jesus said, you go and do the same. If the Bible said we just love those that love us, what reward is that? Even the heathens, they do that. Anybody can do that. The one who showed mercy and compassion was acting as a neighbor. We cannot love God without loving others. People sure need help now, I tell you. Are we a neighbor? Ask God to show us opportunities, to show compassion and help other people. So verse 38, Mary and Martha served, and it happened that as they went, he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Sat at the feet and heard the word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to come help. Hey, you don't care? She don't, you know, she's too busy. It says, verse 40, it says, Martha was distracted by much serving. You can be distracted by much serving. You can be distracted by doing good things. She was doing good things. There was nothing wrong with what she was doing. But her priority was wrong. She was, you know, you even in ministry, you can get, you can get so so busy serving God until you haven't got time for God. You know that? So you, even pastors got to keep their priorities straight because there's always something that is going to demand your time. Now, and my time is very valuable. I have people calling me all the time just talking crazy. Just talking crazy. Crazy. Yeah, I called me last night. Hey, come pray over my house. I hear noises in my house. And I said, really? I said, where you live? Oh, we live out in Spanaway. Okay. Hey, are you trying to text me? Are you recording me? I go click. <laughs> you got to know as a pastor, when people start talking crazy and wasting your time, don't let them waste your time. He didn't want any help. Anyway. But Jesus answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried about, troubled about so many things. One thing is needful, and Mary has chosen the good part, which was not taken away from her. She has the right priorities, in other words. She was totally devoted, communion with God, sat at his feet, listening to the word. That should be our priority, is to sit at his feet and listen to his word. Because when you do that, God fills you with what you need. And our priorities is going to always be, you got to bring them back into perspective because they get out of perspective sometimes. 
But that time with Christ is very important because he can fill you with what you need. So when you go out, you're equipped. But if we ignore him like she was distracted, we're too busy serving God until we don't have time for God, then you're not going to have any power in your life. So you make sure you do the same thing. Sit Sit at his feet, hear his word, read the word, let the word read you, and then God will use you mightily. So many people looking for God's will. God's will is in his word. And when you spend time with God in that fellowship, in that communion, he will show you his will. Okay? So, and I say, when you're waiting for his will, don't just sit there and wait. You can be busy while you wait. I know people over the years say, well, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. Five years go by. I'm waiting. Ten years go by, I'm waiting. Dude, what you waiting on? Get up and do something while you wait. Be busy while you wait. There's a lot of work to do here. And there's a lot of people need us. So we got to go out and shine light and be salt, be light and salt on this earth and let people know that Jesus is still alive and well. If they're going to hear, if they're going to hear, they're going to hear through you. They're going to hear through me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for your many blessings. Thank you, Lord, that we can come today. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to continue to stay on course. We pray, God, that you would help us, Father, to not to be distracted. And I pray if there's anyone watching today that does not know you as a personal Savior, that you would come into their hearts, that they would invite you into their life right now so they can be saved. We thank you and we pray that you bless each one that came today. Meet their needs, encourage their hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.